Hey guys, welcome to week two of the Neighbor Series here at Three Circle Church. My name's Chris Bell. Really honored to be teaching you today from the Word of God. If you want to go ahead in your devices and your Bibles, you're going to want to turn to the book of Luke chapter 10 because that's where we're going to be, not just today, but we were there last week. We're going to be there for the next few weeks as we take a look at one of Jesus' most beloved parables. Now just to recap a little bit, the Neighbor Series is based on the parable known as the Good Samaritan. Now remember, a parable is a story that Jesus made up to teach us a lesson. And this story teaches us more than just one lesson. See, I think a lot of people read the Good Samaritan story and, and since we're familiar with it, we think we know everything that it had to teach us. But I think often much of this parable is overlooked. So what we're doing during the Neighbor Series is we're taking a deep dive into the Good Samaritan story because at the core of the parable of the Good Samaritan is the concept of neighboring. Now neighboring is a big deal because in the Bible the idea of neighbor is actually attached to the fulfillment of God's standard for us. God's standard is written down in the Old Testament and it's known as the Mosaic Law and it was condensed into the Ten Commandments. And then it was further condensed by Jesus and by others as two commands that really sum up the entire law. And the, and, and the two commandments are this, love your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, that's one, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So that makes the word neighbor and also the concept of neighboring very important, very crucial. And just so happens that Jesus taught the concept to us in a way we could understand it. He put it in terms that we could all get and it's found in the Good Samaritan story. So the big idea that we learned in week one, just to catch you up a little bit, is this idea. Often we ask the wrong question. The Good Samaritan story was actually an answer to a question that a scribe, a lawyer, asked Jesus. This scribe, this lawyer, uh, came to Jesus and like all scribes and lawyers and Pharisees did, they were all trying to keep the law the best they could to earn their way into heaven. Well, Jesus is going to obliterate that idea. But this guy came to Jesus and basically said, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus told him, keep the law. What does the law say? And the lawyer, the scribe, he said the two commands I just mentioned to you. He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, just do that and you can have eternal life. And now Jesus knew that that scribe had not kept the law and he could not keep the law. And you and I can't either. That's why we needed Jesus to save us. We're all lawbreakers and he was too. But the Bible tells us that the, the scribe still wanted to give it a shot. So he asked Jesus a question that we taught you in week one was the wrong question. He said, who is my neighbor? Now that's a question we all ask sometimes. We ask the wrong question. And we learn in week one that we shouldn't be saying, who is my neighbor? We should be asking, am I a neighbor? You see, the Good Samaritan parable teaches us how to be a neighbor instead of how to identify our neighbors. Now, that was week one. Today, as we're going to do week after week during this series, we're going to take another angle at this amazing parable. A theology professor of mine when I was in school used to tell us that, that the Bible's like a diamond. And if you continue to turn slowly a diamond in the light, it'll give you a whole new array of light coming through. It'll look different at different times. There's, what he was saying was the Bible's loaded with wisdom that we need to find. We need to go find it. It's there for us. And what we're going to find here in this parable, as we look at it from different angles, it's got so much to teach us. So 
Instead of looking to identify our neighbors, we want to be a neighbor. But what's some of the hurdles in the way of that? Today we're going to look at a big thing that stands in our way, and it stood in the way uh, of the people in the Good Samaritan story as well. So let's dive in now to week two of the Neighbor series. I told you just a moment ago to get your Bibles out. If you haven't done that, you'll want to do that now. Get your Bible or your device. Uh, however you read the Word of God, go ahead and get that ready. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to jump up to verse 29, okay? And, and this is what the Bible says. So the, remember, the scribe, the lawyer, had just said to Jesus that he understood the two main tenets of the Mosaic law. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus told him to do that then. Go do that. In verse 29, the scribe says this. It says, But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And there's that wrong question we talked about. And now, as we'll do each week during the series, we're going to read the Good Samaritan parable. It's not that long. We're going to read it, and then we'll continue to dive into it from different angles. So in reply, Jesus said this, verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, had compassion on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins, denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the scribe, the lawyer, said, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Now that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So today we're going we're gonna to look at one of the big things that caused the Jewish priest and the Jewish Levite to walk away. And it's one of the big things that makes the power of the Samaritan 
in this story so very, very strong uh, when it comes across to us today, if we really understand what was going on in the context and in the culture. So let's take a look at why Jesus using a Samaritan as the hero of the story was so very powerful. So one of the words that I hear used today in our culture a lot that I think is being misused is the idea of unprecedented. We like to say and we like to think that we're going through things right now that are unprecedented. In other words, they never happened like this before. And one of the areas I think that we use the word unprecedented is some of the racial divides and cultural division that we're going through right now. But I'm here to tell you that it is not unprecedented. In fact, this is an age-old problem when it comes to humanity. And what you're going to find is the idea of racism and prejudice that is happening in the Good Samaritan story. In fact, it's one of the most overlooked aspects of this story. So where's the prejudice? What's going on here? Well, you need to understand that, that one of the powerful pieces of the Good Samaritan story is the fact that the hero of the story is a Samaritan. The fact that Jesus would, would phrase it that way, that there's a Good Samaritan. Remember, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He is speaking to a Jewish audience. The, the characters in the story are all Jewish except for the Samaritan, the man that got beat up, the priest and the Levite. They're all Jewish, all right? And Jesus is speaking to them on the concept of neighboring and He's teaching them that concept by inserting into the story an intentionally provocative symbol and that is the Samaritan. Now, what do I mean by provocative? I mean Jesus was intentionally trying to provoke them. He is trying to make them uncomfortable. He's going to a sensitive place. He's punching their buttons. And often we don't like that, right? We just think, let's move on. We don't want to deal with that. But Jesus refused to allow the Jews' prejudices and even maybe racism to continue unchecked. So what are we talking about here? Well, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And this form of prejudice... And hatred and racism went both ways, all right? And we need to know a little bit about the history. And to do so, I'm going to read straight from uh, theologian John MacArthur. John MacArthur says this about the situation between the Samaritans and the Jews in Jesus' day and the fact that there was history to it. Just like at any point, you can look across different people groups on the earth throughout history, and racism and prejudice has always been there. And it's around today, of course. And just like some of the racial divides in our country can be traced historically, you can go back and see things that happen, whether it's shadow slavery uh, that was taking place, which was horrific, or whether it has been uh, Irish prejudices that happened with Irish immigration to America, or whether that, that began to rise with uh, prejudices against Asian Americans, or the treatment of... Uh, uh, indigenous Indians here in, in our country throughout history. There's all of these historical things that we can go back and trace. And we think, we're the only ones that have ever been through this. And actually, it's, a, it's an age-old thing. And the reason it was around in Jesus' day, and the reason it was around in the Old Testament, in ancient times with Abraham and others, and the reason it's still around today is because, listen, listen, racism and prejudice is essentially not, initially not a skin problem. It is a sin problem, all right? And it always has been. 
And we're going to trace it all the way back. Listen to what John MacArthur says about the situation between the Samaritans and the Jews. He says, when the nation of Israel split politically after Solomon's rule, so you got to go way back before Jesus. Jesus is in his context, but you got to go way B.C., all right, to find where it all started. Uh, King Omri named the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel Samaria. Okay, so the capital was called Samaria. It's where the word comes from. That's in 1 Kings 16.24. The name eventually referred to the entire district, which had been taken captive by Assyria, in 722 B.C. That's how far back we're going. While Assyria led most of the populace of the ten northern tribes away, it left a sizable population of Jews in the northern Samaritan region and then transported many non-Jews into Samaria. These groups intermingled to form a mixed race through intermarriage. Eventually, tension developed between the Samaritans and the Jews who returned from captivity. The Samaritans withdrew from the worship of Yahweh at Jerusalem and established their worship at Mount Gerizim in Samaria. As a result of this history, Jews repudiated Samaritans and considered them heretical. And intense ethnic and cultural tensions raged historically between the two groups so that both avoided contact as much as possible. So that's just giving you a little bit about the history of the Jews and the Samaritans. So what we have by the time Jesus gets there is deeply embedded. Does that sound similar? Deeply embedded fault lines. Deeply embedded division. Deeply embedded hatred. By the time Jesus comes on the scene and He is telling this Samaritan story, there are generations after generations after generations of Jews who were raised as kids to hate Samaritans. And there were generations of Samaritans raised as little, little baby Samaritans to hate the Jews. And the divisions went on and on and on. It was terrible. In fact, just to give you a little bit of the history, so some of the problems, let me just give you some of the examples. The Jews famously would call Samaritans a herd, never a nation. They'd never refer to them as a real country. They'd call them a herd, like animals. Uh, a widely used Jewish proverb stated that a piece of bread given by a Samaritan is more unclean than a pig's flesh. And that would be huge in Jewish culture. All right, this is amazing. One of the things the Samaritans did to further anger the Jews is sometime early in the first century, Samaritans threw, watch this, dead bones into the temple in Jerusalem on the day of Passover, really the night before. And what that meant is that they could not celebrate in the temple the way they normally would the Passover. So it went both ways. Both were, were having problems with the other. All right, And then, of course, so, so what we see is the Samaritans did things towards the Jews and the Jews did things towards them. In fact, the worst insult that a Jew could use towards another Jew was to call them a Samaritan. And, and they did this to Jesus. In John 8, 48, the Pharisees said to Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you're possessed? Basically, they're like, if you're a Samaritan, you're of the devil. It was meant to be an insult. Now, this is huge. You need to understand that it went both ways. The Jews completely destroyed the Samaritan capital at one point. They destroyed their temple. Uh, it, it went back and forth for all these years. So what I want you to see is much like the prejudices and racism that we deal with today, there's a history to it. And there was a history to the Samaritans. And what you're seeing in the snapshot that Jesus gives you with this story and, and the way his audience would have received it, would have had a hard time receiving it, is the same reason 
uh, people in certain geographies in America deal with different levels of prejudice and racism as well. So Jesus is intentionally saying that in order for you to be a neighbor, you're going to have to drop the racism or the prejudices. You're going to have to drop that. We're going to have to go right at it. Now, I know in our, in our country right now, many of us go, we've heard enough about this. We don't need to deal with this anymore. But that's, that's not how Jesus handled it because the Samaritans and the Jews, they've been dealing with it for hundreds and hundreds of years, and yet Jesus still won't leave it alone. He's still going right at it. And He makes the Samaritan intentionally the hero of the story. So I think what we need to understand is not only the history of the racism and prejudice that led to these, these cultural identities and these cultural tensions in Jesus' day, but why did Jesus care so much about it? Why did Jesus want to go and, and hit that button? Why did Jesus make a Samaritan the hero of the story knowing how angry it would make his audience? Why wouldn't he leave it alone? Why would Jesus not simply walk away? Why would he do that? Well, because the Bible teaches us that we are not to be people who look at other human beings in that way. And see, the Jews have been doing it for a long time. In fact, let me tell you how bad it was. The Jews wouldn't even walk through Samaria. In fact, here's a map to show you just how far Jews would walk around. Like it would take far longer and it was far more treacherous. The straight line to get from the two main places in the Jewish world would have been through Samaria, but they wouldn't do that. They would walk all the way around it, spend more money, spend more time, spend more energy just to keep from even walking through there. And there was good reason because if you got caught walking through there, the Samaritans might beat you up. It went both ways. Really, really bad stuff. Much like the divisions we see today in America where you go to a town and maybe you'll see one predominantly uh, race in, in one area of town and then another race in another, and the two do not mix. And, and, and we see the same stuff happening historically. Why? Because this is a sin issue, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. So in order to deal with that, we need to trace what the Bible teaches us about one another. What is it about being human that's special? Why did Jesus not leave the race issue alone? Well, it's because the race issue is a human issue. And to understand why it's so important, we need to know why human life is so important. So let's take a quick walk through the Bible to remind ourselves of our theology, what we believe about human life. guys so let's take a look at what we believe about human life and and if we if we start there if we start all the way in the beginning and see how God intended things then we will like if this is how God wants them and our job as Christians is to live like the kingdom should be like we're supposed to make this world around us in the image of the kingdom of God so if in the kingdom of God there is no separation in this way and, and everyone's treated the way they're supposed to be treated, then, then where do we get that concept? And it comes from the very beginning. In fact, listen to what the Bible says in Genesis 1.27. So right in the beginning it says this, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him, not just him, but male and female He created them. So what we see here is that the Bible is clear that humans are created in the image of God. Now what we call that is the Imago Dei. Imago Dei is a word we use in theological circles to describe 
the image of God in humans. And what this does is it sets human beings apart from all of the rest of creation. Now that's not to say that the rest of creation is not wonderful and beautiful. And it's not to say that the rest of creation does not reflect God because certainly you can see what we call general revelation in all of creation. It's hard to look at an ocean and not think about the greatness of God. It's hard to see uh, a, a deer in the woods and not think God is great. It's hard for me not to look at my dog uh, on my back porch and think, wow, he, my dog Gus, he came out of the imagination of God, right? But none of the things I just described, yes, including your beloved pets, none of them have the image of God. Only humans bear the Imago Dei. And the Bible is telling you here, God created people in His image and that sets people apart. And that's all people, all races, all human life is special and should be treated as such. Now what the image of God means is it means it's a reflection of something greater. So we're not little gods walking around but we were created in the image of our Creator God. The image of God is not physical, but it's spiritual in nature, meaning that every single human being, whether they're tall or short, whether they're, uh, whether they're big or small, they are created fully in the image of God. Now, what does it mean to be human? What's the uniqueness of humans in God's creation? A few of them. Number one, uh, humans, us, you and I, and, and, and the Samaritans and the Jews, and the person that, that you have a prejudice towards, just keep this in mind because we all have some. You need to remember all humans were the grand finale of creation. Human beings bear the image of God. We're the grand finale. God waited the last. Secondly, only humans, only us are created in the image of God. Nothing else, no one else. Thirdly, we were given dominion over creation, meaning we're supposed to lead out in the world for the flourishing of all, including the rest of creation. We're supposed to be doing that. We're to oversee God's creation. Uh, fourthly, uh, we exclusively are noted in the Bible as involving the triune God before He created us. Like there was a council before He created us. Everything else just kind of popped out. But before, before the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit created humans, there was a conversation recorded in Genesis. That, that, hey, we, we will create them in our image. Uh, finally, we are exclusively stated male and female, which, which means this. It doesn't mean there's not male and female other parts of creation. Certainly we know that. There's something special about human masculinity and human femininity. So that sets us apart completely. The results of the Imago Dei are this. Human beings have personality which gives us the ability to reason and have dominion. Human beings have spirituality, which means we have the ability to have a relationship with God. That's huge. And then finally, we have a moral nature, which means we were originally created righteous. We know right and wrong. We were originally created righteous, and we have been restored, those of us who believe in Jesus, to righteousness. Now, what are the consequences of the Imago Dei that affect us? And it's why Jesus put a Samaritan in the story as the hero, and he's going right at the Jewish racism and the Jewish prejudices that were taking place. And it's why he's going to go into Samaria and talk to a Samaritan woman at a well one day, and he's going to deal with her issues with the Jews. Why is he going there? Why won't he leave it alone? Why is he stirring that pot? Because, listen, we need to deal with this thing that's in front of us that we all want to ignore. And it's the fact that we all deal with some prejudice. 
And we all were raised in some ways that probably made us think wrongly about other people groups. So what does it mean if everyone and every person is created in the image of God? It means a few things. It means, first, all human life is valuable and must be protected and valued. Not some. All human life is valuable because it was created in the image of God. In fact, this is where the idea of capital punishment comes from in the Bible. Genesis 9-6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. All right? So, but, but why? Why is that true? It tells you why. Because God made man in his own image. That's why. The reason taking human life would be murder is because, and you shouldn't take human life. Why? Because of this. Because God created man in his own image. There's something special about humanity. And we're going to get to in a minute because we, you may be here and you may go, well, I will never kill a person. Yeah, but what you're going to see is we will allow things to live in our hearts. The very things that lead to murder, the very highway that leads to the final exit that is murder, is already present in many of our hearts in the form of what we might consider minor prejudices. Or, well, we all feel that a little bit. Or we just kind of dismiss them or minimize them. But what you're going to find in just a moment is Jesus did not minimize it at all. So what this means is this. The Imago Dei must impact the way we see and treat fellow humans. So the Bible here is dealing with the fact that all humans are created in the image of God and that we should not murder. But what did Jesus have to say about this idea of the Imago Dei and how we should treat other people? outside of the Samaritan story. Let's take a look at that right now. All right, so we're looking at this incredible parable, but in another place, Jesus dealt with this issue just from a different angle, and it was in His Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said these words, and it's very telling. He said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And, and where did they say that? Where we just read it. So Jesus is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the, the days of old. He's talking about when the Mosaic Law was written and Moses wrote Genesis and, and gave us these commands, thou shalt not murder, and why we shouldn't murder, because of the Imago Dei. So Jesus reminds His audience of that. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. He's basically quoting what you and I just read. Look at verse 22, though. Jesus, because He's God, can clarify the Old Testament for us. And look how He clarifies it. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? In fact, the word he uses for fool in the original language, there's the word raka. Okay, it's a new word that you can kind of put into your uh, parlance, if you will. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, hey, you all think the standard for how to treat another human is to not kill them. Jesus says, but you're missing the heart of what we were saying there. You're missing the heart of the Word of God. The Word of God's trying to not just teach you not to kill someone. Like, that's the baseline. But what Jesus is saying is the heart behind not murdering is the Imago Dei, that people are special and that all human life is special. So what Jesus says here is He clarifies and He says, yeah, yeah, the baseline is don't kill anybody, don't murder, but, but also you shouldn't hate your brother. And not only just hate, because if you go, well, okay, I cannot hate. And Jesus says, yeah, let me give you one more. Also, don't say raka or you fool. Now, what does he mean by that? Let me tell you what he means. He means 
Human life is so special, we cannot be dismissive of it. Human life is so special that you cannot simply blow somebody off and act like they don't matter. You just can't do it. It's not okay. It's why Jesus told a story where He said a Jewish Levite and a Jewish priest both blew it because they acted like a person didn't even matter. But the Samaritan, who supposedly was half-breed and didn't have his act together and was a bad guy and all this, he got it right. He actually lived out what a true neighbor would be. So let me just tell you this. It's impossible to be a neighbor to someone you hate. Well, let's back it up even further. Let's, give you the, let's go the biblical trail. It's impossible to be a neighbor to someone you want to kill. And you may go, well, I don't want to murder anybody. Okay. Jesus said, it's also impossible to be a neighbor to someone that you hate. And you may even go, well, I don't really, it's not that I hate. And, and Jesus says, yeah, yeah, it's impossible to be a neighbor to someone that you're dismissive of, that you don't value, that you can't see that they're special. And folks, the reason the Good Samaritan story is so important is because it still speaks today. They were dealing with prejudices and racism in their day as well. Do you know what the word prejudice means? It means to prejudge. It means that, that I've already decided something about you because of the color of your skin, and that was going on in Jesus' day. The problem with the Samaritans was not, not just theological. Let me tell you, it was a very, very bad mix. It involved politics, religion, and race. The Jewish-Samaritan issue was political, it was religious, and it was racial. That is the trifecta right there, man. And you know what? We're dealing with some of that today. Much of what we're dealing with in our country right now is a mixture, an explosive mixture, mixture of politics, race, and religion. And they all combine into this combustiveness that, that we see all around. And it's not a new issue. It's an old issue. And for me to be able to break the prejudices in my life, and I have them, and I grew up with them, and I bet you did too if you're honest about it, in order for us to break those things, we can't just work on our behavior, though that is important. It's ultimately not a behavior issue. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And what Jesus teaches us in the Good Samaritan story, by making the Samaritan the hero, is that being a biblical neighbor starts in your heart and it ends in your actions. But if you go act like a neighbor, you're not going to be able to sustain that if your heart's not in it. And that is true if we're going to break the racisms and the prejudices that go on in our day just like they did in Jesus' day. The Jewish people had written off the Samaritans. They either, hey, there was murder that took place between Jews and Samaritans. And Jesus would not leave it alone. And he says, you can't, neighbor, you, you can't fulfill the Mosaic law. You can't do what God wants you to do. You can't represent God. Don't say you love God. If you want to murder your brother or sister, if you hate your brother and sister, or if you're dismissive of your brother and sister. And, and, and what's important here is to understand that there were legitimate differences between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews, Jesus will tell you, had it right theologically. The Samaritans did have it wrong theologically, and he points that out to the woman at the well. But he still doesn't let the Jews off the hook that they need to love and treat with dignity and respect the Samaritans. And what does that say to us today? That means that, yes, we're going to have legitimate differences with people in our culture. 
But it never, listen, the Christian can never dismiss people because of their race, their sexuality, their belief systems, their politics. You just don't get to do that. You can disagree respectfully, but you can't hate somebody and you can't prejudge somebody and you can't dismiss someone and represent Jesus. You just can't. And He will not leave it alone, guys. Listen, Jesus tells one of His most famous stories and He makes the hero of the story the Samaritan on purpose because He was trying to make the Jewish people uncomfortable. And, and if when you hear these ideas of being the neighbor that God's called us to be to people different than us, then, then I bet you're dealing with the same thing. And Jesus will make us uncomfortable. You know Mr. Rogers, the one and only Mr. Rogers neighborhood. He, a lot of people may not realize what a trendsetter he, he was, but while a lot of racial division was going on in America, he did something powerful in his own understated way. Mr. Rogers invited an African-American police officer friend of his onto the show, and he did it on purpose. Just like Jesus told the Samaritan story on purpose the way he did, Mr. Rogers was intentionally being provocative on his show. He was trying to stir the pot on purpose in a good way. And he invited his police buddy onto the show and he comes in and he walks over and they take their shoes and their socks off. It's a hot day and he has a little pool with water in it. And Mr. Rogers and his African-American friend put their feet in that pool of water together and they laugh and they talk and they cool their feet off together. And it was so powerful and kids all over the world watch that moment. But I got a feeling Mr. Rogers didn't make that show just for the kids. I got a feeling he was making that for the adults who were looking over the shoulders of their kids when it happened. I think Mr. Rogers, in his understated way, was telling America and the world, this is what being a neighbor looks like. It's uncomfortable. It's intimate. And it's what loving your neighbor looks like. And I think when Jesus told the Samaritan story about the Samaritan and the Jew and the Jews and the Samaritan, he was trying to get them to see this is what neighboring is going to require. So how do we deal with this today? Let's look at a few things you and I need to do today to deal with our own prejudices, our own race issues, so that we can learn the lesson from the Good Samaritan story. So in closing today, we've really used the Good Samaritan story and we've taken a piece of it. The fact that Jesus made a Samaritan who the Jews hated, the, the hero of the story, he was purposefully teaching a lesson that he had taught in other places as I showed you today. We can't dismiss people. We can't hate people. Certainly can't murder people, right? And it's an age-old problem. Listen to what the New Testament says in the book of Galatians. Galatians 3, 26 to 28 says this, In Christ Jesus, so that's if we're Christians, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Boy, it doesn't get more clear than that, does it? So today, if we're going to follow Jesus in this area of life, let me give you three things we must do. First of all, we must be honest about and repent of our own prejudices. And I bet we all have them. I know how I was raised. And I was raised by a wonderful family, but I mean the culture that I was in, in South Coastal Mississippi, there was a lot of racism. There was a lot of prejudices. And this is a wonderful country we live in where the, the aspirations of America have been unbelievable. 
for all peoples and places. There's never been a country like this. But you know what? We're not perfect, are we? And we still have work to do. And so we must be honest about those, but not just collectively, but individually, you and I need to get uncomfortable and ask ourselves, do I have prejudices? Now, don't play the game where you go, oh, I don't hate people. I don't, I'm not, well, just drop all that. Why not open your heart and your mind to what Jesus is telling you? Do you prejudge people? Do you have lines and boundaries in your life that you wouldn't want to admit to, but they're there? We have to be honest about them and repent of them. Secondly, we need to engage people who are not just like us. What would it look like for you to begin to engage people that are not just like you? And engage means that you love people, that you make connections with people, that you, that you drop the boundaries. And yes, this will include people you disagree with. Yes, this will impact how you treat people on social media. Stop prejudging everybody. Yes, you can disagree with people. This doesn't mean that you affirm everything that everyone believes. That's not what this means. And for you to use that as a cop-out would be for you to miss the point. Nowhere does Jesus say that you need to agree with everything everybody says. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. There's very real differences. But what we are to do is to love and treat with dignity and respect and care for and engage with people of all races, of all backgrounds, of all belief systems, of all beliefs. We're supposed to do that as Christians. We're supposed to engage. And finally, we need to simply start seeing people like God sees them. Do you see people the way God sees them? That's hard. You don't naturally. Let me answer the question for you and for myself. No. You don't see people the way God sees them. It's, listen, it's hard for me to see my own family the way God sees them sometimes. But it should be our aspirational goal. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it can become more and more a reality. Not that we only aspire to, but that we actually begin to achieve in our lives. By the power of the Spirit, we become more like Jesus. And we begin to see the people we may viscerally disagree with. We begin to see them through the eyes of God. And we love them. And we respect them. We care for them. We pray for them. Maybe even we build friendships with them. Not that we agree, not that we affirm, but that we respect, that we engage, that we care. That we become a people who simply don't write people off for the color of their skin or their background or their belief systems or their sexuality or their habits, the differences. No. We become people who understand the value of all human life. And in our engaging and loving and caring for and serving, maybe, listen, just maybe, we become people who change the world, change our communities, our cities, our towns, our schools, our homes, if we begin to be the neighbors God's called us to be. But that's going to require us be honest, us engage and care for, and us begin to see people the way Jesus does. My hope today is that this second part of the Neighbor Series will help you do just that. You know, we have a Midtown Mobile campus here at Three Circle Church. And, and the statement that we've put on the walls there, it's outside the building and in the inside. But it's not just for Midtown Mobile. This is a statement that is at the heart of what we do at all of our Three Circle Church campuses. And it's this. All classes, all races, all people. All classes, all races, all people. That's who we are. For the glory of God, 
and for the advancement of the kingdom and for the beauty of the gospel. That's who we are at Three Circle because we believe that's who God is. And that's who He's called us to be. Hey, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank You so much for this time we've had together in Your Word. Thank You for the Good Samaritan story and all that it says to us and how it challenges us. It challenges our presuppositions that we all have about one another, our prejudices, the way we prejudge. And it challenges us to change, to do the hard work of changing. None of us individually can go change the whole world, but man, we can change We can change what's happening right here in our lives by your power. I pray that you would help us to do that and help our churches, our campuses, our communities, our homes look more and more like your kingdom where human life is valued. So valued that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. You so love the world, humanity, that you gave your son. We meant that much to you. How valuable we must be to you. So we then must value all human life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.